Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Riff. My name is Laura, and today I'm joined by Cameron Spanner again. Hi, Cameron. How are you going? Good. How are you, Laura? Good, thank you. And also Amelia. Hi, Amelia. How are you? Hey, Laura. Good. Good to be here. That's good. We're all um, virtual here, of course, still in lockdown, unfortunately, but still doesn't mean that we can't, you know, get a podcast to you guys. So that's what we're here to do today. That's right, Laura. So today we're going to talk about a very topical issue, an issue that is um, affecting all of us here in Sydney, especially at the moment. Uh, and it is to do with COVID-19, obviously the pandemic that's taken the world by storm, but also the vaccine that we currently have. So Amelia um, is our employment lawyer. Uh, and from what she's kind of seeing from uh, a few of um, the recent news articles that are out there, um, there's a big push for the COVID-19 vaccine and for employers to mandate that you must get your COVID-19 vaccine. Is that right, Amelia? Yeah, that's exactly right, Cameron. And we saw um, yesterday morning um, the first Australian company to actually mandate the vaccine for its employees. So SPC, the um, the big Australian fruit and vegetable sort of processing companies, they see their tins and their things all, all through the shops, they announced yesterday morning that they are going to mandate the vaccine for, for all their on-site workers and, and visitors that, I think affects about 450 employees that we know of at the moment. Um, they've got sort of six weeks to book in a vaccine, or they might risk not being able to go to work. So it's now now becoming a bit of bit of a hot topic, bit of an issue for employers to to have a think about as to how they protect their staff, how they protect the community, and whether or not they do take that extra step and and take away that choice from their employees and say no, we're we're actually going to require you to do it. Yeah, and and. The key thing that we're not really touching on today is whether or not, you know, you should get the vaccine or not. Obviously, if the health authorities are saying you should get the vaccine, um, but if you don't want to get the vaccine, that's a matter for you. But if your employer sits down and says to you, hey, you need to get the vaccine, that's really when we, from a legal standpoint, can see maybe some issues arising. Is that right, Amelia? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we don't we don't currently have a system of government or a society where, where many things are, are mandated like this. Um, but there, there are a few situations where it may be possible for, for that to happen. Um, I guess the three key things there are if there's a specific law that requires an employee to be vaccinated, an employer can obviously mandate that. Now, it's obviously going to be an addition to any government requirement. Um, your employment may, may be subject to an enterprise agreement or some sort of other registered agreement which requires um, vaccination. So we sometimes see that in sectors where they require the flu vaccine, for example, um, which can, can cover places like um, childcare and aged care. The other situation is where there's no law, um, but the employer feels that it would be lawful and reasonable to give a direction to their employee to get vaccinated. And that's, that's I think, the, the big issue at the moment is whether an employer can lawfully and reasonably give give a direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the, the key thing here, Amelia, is if this is a big issue in Sydney and Australia at the moment, um, but if we take a step back, there's a lot of international organisations that have already sort of done this. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct, Cameron. So um, in the US, we've seen some examples with some bigger companies like Google, and Microsoft, they've already already brought in um, mandatory vaccinations, but 
the way their their countries work, the way their laws work are, are definitely different to here. But it's not not uncommon anymore to see to see these directions being given around the world um, as employers try and do their bit to to work with the government and to work with the people to try and get everyone back to normal as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I I think like because this is such a new situation that we're facing the from when we're recording to when you may be listening here the situation may have changed and there might be a law or something like that that says that you have to get vaccinated um but as we're recording today that isn't the case so it really falls down to amelia that that third category that you were talking about which is um if your workplace deems you essentially needing it to be able to work. Yeah, that, that's right. So we've currently got a mandate that um, workers in residential aged care facilities are mandated to be vaccinated as a government requirement. Um, but I think, what is it, the 6th, 6th of August today, there's currently no other industry that actually is is government mandated to get the vaccine. Um, so now it comes down to whether an employer can give a direction and whether that direction is reasonable or not. And there's a, there's a few different things that we look at or the courts will look at. Um, in considering whether that is reasonable or not. But it's important to note that just because a COVID-19 pandemic exists, that doesn't actually necessarily make it lawful or reasonable to give a mandatory vaccination direction. There are a lot of other factors that are considered as well. Um, from, from what we've seen with cases where there's been directions to have the um, flu vaccine, for example, um, a few key things have come out from those cases where they'll consider a direction to be reasonable if the employee is, say, interacting with persons who have an elevated risk of infection. So we already know with respect to COVID-19 that it can be or can have devastating effects on on the elderly and on people with comorbidities. So that's a factor. Um, Employees, again, who have close contacts with vulnerable Persons or who have adverse health outcomes if they're going to contract COVID-19. Again, I guess the same, same example applies there. I mean, the other consideration is whether the employer has exhausted all reasonable means of minimising and managing the risk of COVID-19. So, for example, at the moment, you know, Laura, myself and Cameron, we, we're sitting in our home offices and we're recording a podcast virtually. I personally don't think I've attended the office for about six weeks now. So that's a way that our organisation is able to minimise the risk of COVID-19 being, you know, in the community, affecting our staff, affecting our, our customers. So if there are other ways that are reasonable to, to manage that um, this risk, risk of exposure, then that's something that will be taken into consideration as to whether that's reasonable or not. And I think that's why here with SPC, um, you can kind of understand what their argument's coming from because I imagine it's a factory setting. They need people in the factory, you know, to be, you know, operating the machines, moving the product, you know, even, you know, um, bringing the product in before it's, you know, processed. I get that side of the argument. Um, it, it, it's funny, you can really see both sides of the argument here when it comes down to it, though, can't you? Yeah, definitely. You can definitely see both. I think another thing with SPC is that, we don't know who's going to be receiving those products at the end of the day. So someone could be on their assembly line and be affected, touching the cans, touching labels, interacting with the food, and that could ultimately end up in a vulnerable person's kitchen, for example. Yeah. Um, and there's a huge supply chain with, with their products. So there are all sorts of risks there. So you can definitely see why SPC is taking some steps to try and minimise that risk. Their workers, you know, they, they might not be able to work from home. 
um, they they probably are having to go into their factories, into their offices on site. So even taking those extra steps and precautionary measures, maybe having their staff wear masks, washing their hands, distancing, social distancing, things like that, they they may not actually be able to eliminate or, or reduce the risk of, of infection enough to prevent the spread, particularly with this what, what appears to be quite an aggressive um, variant around at the moment. You know, even working not in such close proximity as we have been previously can can cause infection. So yeah, you can you can definitely see where their arguments are coming from that they feel it's reasonable, and and that might be why they've given that direction. But I guess the the other side of that, Cameron, is is what happens if you do have a conscientious objection to being being vaccinated or, or religious beliefs or um you know underlying health conditions there are, there are many reasons why people don't get vaccinated and I, I i think amelia that's the the big question here and especially from an employment law standpoint here um that would be you know some people out there the question that they would raise how, how would you deal with that is in a situation where they're saying you have to get vaccinated so it's important if, if you're getting this direction from your employer and you do have a particular um, belief or you feel you have a genuine reason not to get vaccinated, that you communicate that with your employer and try and work around it. Simply being being a recalcitrant employee and, and just not wanting to accept directions from your employer because you don't want them to impose particular things on you may not be sufficient. In that situation, you may need to go that step further and actually have a genuine reason for not wanting to be vaccinated, be that a health reason or a religious belief. But at the moment, these things are, are largely untested. So we don't know how that's going to be received by the courts, how that's going to be, um, if you, if you push back on that, what, what results you will get. There's an argument to say that we've got, we've got certain freedoms here in Australia to make choices about our own healthcare, um, in particular and, if you choose not to have the vaccine, should you be put in a situation where you can no longer work for your employer and whether you then have to find another another job, which could have some quite scary economical um, consequences for for employees. And and again, as I said, that this it's unfortunately a largely unte- untested area. So this SPC direction that came out yesterday might be Australia's test case if employees feel they have to leave or are, or they are terminated because they refuse to get the vaccine, what what comes from that and how the courts choose to deal with that will be something that's not only interesting, I guess, from from my perspective, but it will it will definitely set the tone for how these things are going to be dealt with, arguably sort of statewide. Well, absolutely. I think it's going to really go two ways as well because other you know, corporations and even small businesses in Australia might look at SPC and go, well, look, they're doing it. I'm going to do it. And then obviously, as more people do it, there's more chance of people objecting to it. So uh, I agree. I can't see a situation where it doesn't end up, you know, in the court system at some stage. And once it gets to the court system, we will be able to know, well, it's going to be precedent setting, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. And we've had some recent cases sort of last year in the childcare sector where previously, I think in, in many healthcare settings and in childcare in particular, there, there is a clause in, in people's agreements or many agreements where they're required to get the flu vaccine, but it's not actually been enforced until yeah. last year. So there's been some cases now that have come out last year where people have actually been given a direction to get the flu vaccine they've objected to it um, unfortunately some of those cases were brought out of time 
So we don't know what the actual decision there was, but there was some commentary that came out in some of their cases where um, he was the deputy president of the um, Fair Work Commission, came out and said that in, in terms of childcare in particular, um, because that individual's role involved the care of children and children who were often too young to be vaccinated, um, the commission would balance the right to the employee to refuse a vaccination with, with their duty of care to those children in, in making its decision. So we do have some glimpses that have come through as to the things that they will consider. It certainly seems like it will be a little bit more of a holistic approach, but it, but again, we, um, we just don't know. I think with, with SPC, they seem to, you know, perhaps have deeper pockets and be able to take the risk of, of some claims moving forward and that's going to be a consideration I think that will come into play for our smaller businesses as to whether they can risk those claims which can be expensive they they can be costly in terms of your your business name being out there for making potentially making a controversial decision so there are a lot there are a lot of considerations to be made on the employer's side as well yeah that's that's right and look like even though SPC has been the first one here that's taken the jump there has been other sectors that have been talking about this for a while say for instance Qantas and the other airlines and stuff like that so yeah it's going to be a bit of a seesaw I think because like you said with these larger corporations they can take the risks a bit more whereas for these smaller ones um, it's going to be a bit harder you know you're going to have to be very black or white because you know any employment claim could be detrimental to that business absolutely absolutely particularly when they when they're made public if they do go to a hearing the details of that case are sort of fleshed out for everybody to see so it's certainly a, a consideration we certainly encourage any employer who is considering mandating the vaccine, particularly the COVID-19 vaccine, to get a bit of legal advice first because it, it I think, largely is going to come down to the type of business that you're in. And as, as we mentioned before, it's going to come down to the type of clients you have, whether you can put in other risk management processes and procedures. Um, so it may be a highly individualised thing and it may, may depend on the business itself or the industry as to whether it is deemed reasonable or not as yep. well. Well, well, that was going to be my next question, Amelia. It's really, if someone's in this situation, either employee or employer, I think the next step would be getting some advice from an employment lawyer that understands the, the, the scope of the system and, you know, staying up to date with these kind of cases. Yeah, absolutely. We're watching this, watching this situation every day, making sure we keep up to date and it's it's an opportunity for employers to sit down and, and flesh out exactly what their business is about, what they do, who they interact with, and put themselves in the best situation moving forward to, to mitigate the chance of, of any claim being brought against you. And sometimes it's as simple as getting some independent advice from a lawyer as to how to approach the issue with your staff as well. How you communicate these mandates and how you communicate changes within your organisation is also important as well. So we can we can assist in that respect too if the decision is to mandate it. But it's definitely definitely recommended and important to have get some advice and have a solicitor sort of go through what the current issues are, what the current key considerations are so that we can apply them to your unique situation and to your business and make sure that you're making the best decision for you. Sorry, just to but in there, guys, I know you, you guys are sort of, yeah, bouncing off each other there, but I have a, a question probably for, um, for both of you. So do you think that, um, with SPC taking this, um, sort of approach, sort of going to set a precedent for what may happen or for things to come in terms of employees making it mandatory? 
Do you think that the outcome is going to be different for, say, people working in, you know, the healthcare industry or, say, working with children, so teachers, as opposed to people maybe working in more of a professional setting, businesses in that sense that, yeah, that don't have um, such a high risk or work with such high risk people? Yeah, I think it'll be one of those things where the courts can go sort of one and one of two ways. They can make a decision to put in a blanket precedent and say, this is how we're going to deal with COVID-19 mandatory vaccinations for everybody. But what is, what is more likely to happen is they'll make decisions based on industries like SPC. So the manufacturing industries and industries where employees really don't have much of a choice but to go to work, which, which could encompass you know, industries like um, the postal service, for example, they they're likely to sort of look at that situation and apply some of the common things in those industries and make a decision about that. Probably more that specific situation or industry, because again, like like we've sort of said, their their workplace and their customers and their who they interact with day to day is is very different, as you've said, Laura, to to nurses or to aged care workers or or um, childcare workers who are who are interacting with very vulnerable people in a very direct way on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I I agree with you there, Amelia. And I think a a big thing to take into account here as well as we're talking in a professional sense, I think even just in your own personal sense, like for anybody to go and do anything from the way the government stances at the moment, you're going to have to be vaccinated. So there's the talk of these vaccine passports and stuff like that. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see like where the line in the sand is drawn, if there is one even. So... Yeah, we might even see people making claims wanting to go to the footy and not being able to go because they haven't been vaccinated. I mean, their poor people might wait until October and miss some of the grand finals because they haven't got their vaccine quick enough. So we might see a few claims arise from that as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's such an unprecedented event that we haven't really uh, faced here in Australia before or faced in the last 100 years or so. It's really up in the air, but I think... um, each day, the situation seems to change and we learn a bit more. And, you know, in a couple of months, we may know more than we do now. But it's just, yeah, it's just one of those things where it, it's your personal choices, you know, may stop you from doing things in the future. Or, you know, the court may rule that, you know, you're allowed to not get vaccinated. I don't know. We don't know yet. So We don't know. It's, it's all it's all a bit of a mystery. And uh, before before coming on this podcast, I was reviewing some of the articles we'd written really not that long ago. And it may have been a matter of months ago about whether the government could even mandate a vaccine. And we I think the commentary I had at the end of that was whilst it, it's legal, we the commentary, running commentary at the time was that it's unlikely that the government would do that. And now we've seen that them take take some steps to mandate it for, for workers in residential aged care facilities, for example. So the situation, as we predicted, changes all the time, depending on how many cases we've got. And no one predicted this, this Delta outbreak. So the, as I said, the situation's very volatile. It's changing every day. Um, all we can sort of work with is, you know, some... Some past cases in relation to the flu and, and the decisions of these, these bigger organisations that are coming through at the moment to, to mandate vaccines and we'll to wait and see as to whether their employees, you know, to take that further if they're not happy with that decision. I think their CEO has come out and sort of said that they, it was fairly well received by the SPC workers. So they may all be happy to get vaccinated. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we're just going to have to, 
to wait and see, and we might do a follow-up podcast, you know, in a month or so to see what the stance is then. See what's going on. Sounds like a plan. So, Amelia, what happens if my employer mandates, uh, says it's mandatory for me to get the vaccine? Yeah, so if Cameron gives you a call tomorrow and says, Laura, if you don't have the COVID-19 vaccine in six weeks, then you you can no longer work for Adams and Partners Lawyers. You've got a few options. Um, again, we sort of, you'd be working through those key points that we talked about before. So whether you interact with vulnerable persons, whether it's reasonable and all of that will be circumstantial. Um, but I think one of the most important things to remember is to, to stay calm, <laughs> to have a think about what your your personal values and position is, um, why you do or do not want it. And I think the, the advice really is to go and get some legal advice because as, as with employers mandating it with employees, whether you have strong grounds to refuse to get it um, will depend on your personal situation, will depend on the nature of your employment, your industry, how the direction has been given. So there'll, there'll be a lot of factors there as well as to whether it's reasonable for you to comply or whether you have reasonable grounds to dispute it. Most importantly is to try and get these things in writing. So if there is a direction, I'd imagine it would be given in writing. But if it's given orally, ask your employer to put it in writing to you if they do seriously want you to get that. Um, And any response you give, again, it would be helpful if that was in writing because that just prevents anyone disputing what hasn't hasn't been said and what the reasons for your responses are bottom line give us a call and and get get some legal advice about it before you make any decisions that could you know have have some potentially adverse consequences for your employment and your ability to earn an income moving forward yeah and people need advice amelia how can they reach you so at at the moment i can be reached through our penrith office so our numbers on our website or via email so amelia at adamslawyers.com.au or via our info email address as well very happy to sit down with people, very happy to have some conversations with people. We can, although we're not in the office, we can do Zoom calls, we can do Teams calls, teleconferences, um, and we're always here to be able to help in some way. Perfect. Absolutely. So I'd just like to thank you, Amelia and Cameron, for coming on and having a bit of a discussion and a chat today about this really hot topic. So, um, Cameron, where can the listeners find us? Uh, so you can find us, as Amelia said, you can, you know, go to our website, <laughs> www.adamslawyers.com.au. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash adamslawyers. We're on Instagram as well as adamslawyers. Uh, you can also give us a call. Our number's on our website. Um, or, you know, leave a comment or review on this podcast and uh, we'll be sure to get back to you as well. And um, for all the listeners out there, if you have any other employment-related questions or need any advice, you can contact Amelia and she is there to assist you. So I think that's it for today, guys. So I just thank you again to Amelia and Cameron for joining us. And um, we'll see you in our next podcast. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, and speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.